Welcome to Stepping Toward Justice with me, Sarah A. Ford, a podcast where we'll explore what justice really looks like inside of a courtroom, outside in our communities, and where access to justice is lacking. We'll talk with advocates, survivors, and changemakers working to make justice a reality for us all. We can't change what we don't understand or acknowledge, so let's take a step together towards justice. Hi, everyone. We are here with a wonderful, amazing, just a a person who truly cares for victims in the state of South Carolina and is actually putting her money where her mouth is, doing the work, getting people trained to make sure that every victim in South Carolina has access to folks that are trained and ready to assist them if they ever have to come to the hospital to have a sexual assault kit done. Y'all, this is Amanda Brown. Hey, Amanda. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. I, um, so you are a registered nurse, RMBSN, SANE A certification. You're also the South Carolina statewide forensic nurse examiner program coordinator. That's correct. That is a mouthful. That is a large yes. title. Uh, so tell tell us a little bit about that title because you coordinate all the things with sane nurses in South Carolina, right? This is this is correct. This is this is what I attempt to do on a daily day basis. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's currently only about 120 sane nurses in the state. Um, but I try to coordinate with each of them and even in in the hospitals as well to figure out how can we help those hospitals? What can we do in those areas? You know, maybe they need help starting a program. Maybe they have a program and they just need a technical assistance piece. You know, our number is 24 seven. That way, no matter when that nurse might have a question or that hospital might have a question, they can call me. Um, I'd rather them call me than potentially something get messed up um, because we know that victims can present any time of day to the hospital. So what is a sane nurse, a sexual so, assault nurse examiner or a forensic nurse examiner? Okay, okay. so uh, you might hear me use the two interchangeably, but there's a sexual assault nurse examiner or a sane, and then there's a forensic nurse examiner. So if you think of forensic nursing, let's think of an umbrella, okay? So that umbrella can encompass so many different things because if the sexual assault nurse has been through a basic training, then we can kind of provide an extra training for those nurses to be able to respond to elder abuse, human trafficking, domestic violence, traumas, um, vehicle versus pedestrians, all of these different avenues toward death investigations to where it makes these nurses more of an asset to these hospitals to have. Because if you say they just respond to sexual assaults, you know, some of these rural areas might only get a couple cases a year. So is it worth it for them to send these nurses through these trainings? But if we say these nurses can also respond to all of those things under that umbrella, like I said, it makes it more appealing to the hospitals and it makes it more of an asset to those hospitals. So we would like to transition our sexual assault nurses that we have currently into a forensic nursing approach in South Carolina. Because then they will be able to collect evidence and do these kits and and examinations on just about any sort of victim that would present in the emergency room, right? Absolutely. Any victim of like a violent crime. 
I mean, would be the gist of it. And that, that would be it. Because if you think about it, they're already used to documenting wounds. They're already used to the photography. They're already used to how to preserve the evidence. Like say the victim brings their clothes to the ER or blankets or anything. That way they're already used to packaging and getting that evidence where it needs to be. Um, they've been sworn in as expert witnesses in most cases. So they're able to kind of be there for any of those um, blanket statements, I guess you would say, as a forensic nurse. That's incredible. How long have people been doing forensic nursing or or, or sexual assault uh, nurse examinations? So I know that in South Carolina specifically, um, since the 90s. So it's still pretty relatively new. I know that sounds like it's been a while, but that's still relatively so new fresh. in the grand scheme of things as far as nursing goes. And it was started as sexual assault nursing. You know, and so then now, like I said, we're trying to bring it into more of that blanket and that umbrella term to where they can encompass more um, for other things, because there are there's about 70 acute care and freestanding ERs in South Carolina. And so to say that each of them have designated sexual assault nurses that only respond to sexual assaults is kind of a hard thing to grasp, you know, for some of these other sure. hospitals. But like we said, if we can potentially have forensic nursing programs that maybe the ERs can call these programs and kind of consult them instead of having to pull nurses out of staffing in the ER and kind of creating that issue that's already going on in the ER where they're already understaffed and already overworked. They can just kind of pull from somebody from another area to come in and take that weight off of them. And somebody that's passionate about it, because let's face it, not everybody wants to do this line of work and that's okay. You're right. <laughs> you're, you're right. It's, it's, you know, there are special areas for, for special people. And I, I I'm mm. so grateful for people like you who say there is a huge need here and let's fill it. Yeah. But speaking of need, there are, you said there are about 120 all across the state of South Carolina. So that probably means there are a lot of areas that don't have a forensic nurse who is trained in this area. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you think about it, I said 70 acute care and freestanding ERs, right? And then we only have about 120 nurses. So let's look at our big pocket areas like your Prismas or like your MUSC or those areas that do have the coverage, they might have 15 nurses. So then if you take that away from that 120 pot, that really leaves minimal for some emergency rooms with absolutely zero and some with luckily maybe one or two. So especially I'd imagine in rural areas, especially I've had clients that have had to travel hours to be able to get a sexual assault examination done or forensic, you know, a forensic examination. That is a tremendous burden for victims in crisis. It, it really, really is. Um and unfortunately, uh, South Carolina is one of the states where technically any nurse can collect a kit. So these victims shouldn't have to travel regardless. But what's in the best interest of the victim? You know, it's in right. the best interest of the victim that have somebody that is specially trained, as we've learned recently, how important it is for evidence be to, to be collected properly, you know, and adequately. So somebody who knows what they're doing and how to collect that kit versus somebody potentially walking in and doing one for the very first time, having to read the instructions out the box. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy yeah. to think that, that, that a, you can do that in South Carolina and B that a victim would be, you know, a victim of a sexual assault or a victim of elder abuse would be the first person. Like we're learning this to get going through this and not having mm -hmm. someone who has that training and understanding to work with that victim. Wow. Uh, so 
we we're talking about the kit. We kind of just jumped in. Like, let's yeah, talk about sorry. the kits here. No, this is great. What is the kit? Like, what are we looking for? What are, what's the evidence that you collect? How does it get done? So I said the box, but they actually recently got changed to an envelope. So they're now in an envelope, but so this would be your sexual assault kit. So this would be in the event that the victim presents to the emergency room within a window for us to collect evidence. Now we follow up most of the hospitals across the state. Each hospital has their own guidelines, but most follow up to 120 hours. They will collect evidence for adults and children. Okay, adults it's a little bit adolescents. No children. It's actually a little bit less. It's less. Okay. So they're a different ball of wax and due to different things with like pH and stuff like that, sometimes their evidence doesn't stay around as long. So um, that's why the children, sometimes it's like 36 to 48 hours, but your adults will go up to 120 hours. Um, adults and adolescents, I should say. So if they've had their first period, we consider them under the adult and adolescent realm. Um, but so yeah, they'll come to the ER and um, they have the option to have a sexual assault kit collected or not have one collected at all. You know, that's completely up to them. After what they've been through, the one thing that we wanna make sure that we do is we're giving that autonomy back. We're allowing them the option to say, yes, I want this done because it's pretty invasive. You know, it's, it's a pretty invasive kit and they need to know beforehand kind of what all is involved. And they also need to know they can choose to have all of the kit done or some of the kit done. So we don't necessarily have to do all the pieces. Now I will kind of guide them and tell them why it's important, but I'm not going to force somebody for a kid. That's not worth it, you know, to re-traumatize that victim, no matter what. Right. Forcing somebody who has taken all, all this control has been taken from them. That is absolutely the one thing that I want to give back to them. And I yeah. love that you said that because it is something giving them the option, you know, giving them options to decide what they want to do. And if they want to report, because they can do yeah. these kits anonymously, right? They can, as long as they are an adult. So um, let's see, a competent adult, I should say. So this does not work if they are considered a vulnerable adult or if it is a, a minor. And in this case, it's under 18. So if they are 17 and they turn 18 tomorrow, but they are saying it is an unwanted sexual act or some sort of unwanted act against them, we are mandated reporters. So we do have to report that. But in the event that they are a competent adult, they are over the age of 18 and they come to the emergency room, we can do what we call an anonymous kit. And that means that, that we'll still collect the evidence like we would for a regular kit. However, that evidence just sits for up to one year. And then the victim has that time to kind of decide, do I want to go through with a judicial process? Do I want to go through with the reporting process? That sort of thing, because that can be traumatizing in itself. Heck and yeah. so they, they get that option to kind of decide. And usually the local rape crisis center is who keeps up with that. So they can, they'll reach out to them at these windows saying, Hey, it's been about six months. We just want to see, you know, how do you feel about this? Um, would you like to go ahead and, you know, process or us process this kid and have it go through and report to law enforcement? Or would you rather just, you know, wait a little bit longer? But like I said, we have a one year um, window in South Carolina that they can report anonymously and then decide if they want to convert their kit. And a lot of people actually recent, more recently are doing this. So it must be an empowering thing for these victims to feel like, you know, sometimes um, one of the most recent ones I feel like that are doing this is our college students, you know, because sure, yeah. they're, they're, near, they're nearing graduation and something has happened and potentially it's a classmate or, you know, someone, they don't want all of that publicity and all of that going through 
right near to graduation, you know? So sometimes that extra couple of months or whatever works out wonderfully for them to be able to then take a breather. Graduation is over. I've completed this. Now we can go forward with this process. I can choose to focus on this when I'm ready to focus on this and when absolutely I, I'm prepared to move forward. That is so important. I'm so glad and grateful that we have that law in South Carolina. So going back to the kit or the envelope, uh, the, the, the examination part, what are you looking for? Because it's not just swabs, right? I mean, there are swabs, but tell me what you look for when you're examining somebody. So that, that, um, the envelope, you have to also download, um, a packet from the sled site, which has about seven to eight pages on it of questions. So not only is it invasive as far as the swabbing, it's invasive as far as the questioning on what the questions that we have to ask and what information we need. Um, a lot of times if you've been through a sexual assault nurse training and you have the understanding, you know that you collect based upon the victim's story. So, you know, if they say he bit me here or he sucked on my arm or whatever, we know that those are areas specifically that we need to swab. And there are swabs in the kit that are specific to those things. So there's a swab for um, saliva. There's a swab for, you know, things like even pubic hair combings, just to kind of let you know how invasive it can be. You know, um, there's an envelope for underwear if they happen to bring their underwear that they want us to collect. Um, fingernail scrapings. There's all of these things that are part of this kit, um, as well as genital swabs and those sorts of things. And then a DNA swab for the victim themselves, like a known DNA. And that's so whenever their lab is processing the kits, they know what belongs to the victim versus what not. And in some of that questioning, you have to ask them, when was the last time they consensually did something? Because they may also find DNA from, say, a boyfriend or girlfriend that did that was okay to be there. But then they right. also know what to look for for what wasn't okay what to be wasn't. there. What wasn't. So with... All of, you know, going through this kit, this this very invasive physical examination and the questioning that you talked about, how long does this take, would you say, on average? It's, it really depends on the story and all that sort of things, but I would say two to four hours wow. is a good window to say that that victim will be there is two to four hours because you have to go through the questioning, you have to go through all the evidence collection. You know, and there's miscellaneous swabs in there, too, which can kind of be left to the imagination or the critical thinking skills, I guess you would say, of the sexual assault nurse. For if, like, you say you find a black pubic hair on on a redheaded patient, obviously, you know, that that doesn't belong there. You know, so that could be something that you pick up and you put in that miscellaneous swab, you know, the miscellaneous um, envelope or that sort of thing. But I would say two to four hours. Um, but that also includes the time for, um, in South Carolina, we offer prophylactic medication. So let's say there's some sort of STDs that they could have contracted that we can treat for. Um, we go ahead and treat for those in the emergency room, as well as offer plan B if the victim should want the plan B. Um, we do a pregnancy test first and confirm that it's negative. But after that, they can get plan B as well as we treat for any STDs that we can treat for in the emergency department. When doing the examination in the emergency room, a victim does not have to be accompanied by law enforcement to request this, right? No, they do not. A lot of times we call law enforcement once they come in, um, if they would like law enforcement there. Um, so that's why it's important that really our, our nursing staff knows 
across the state that that anonymous reporting is a thing, you know, that they can come in and get the whole kit collected. And honestly, uh, before I took this role, when I was doing a lot more sane work in the ER, it was easier for me to let that victim leave the emergency department before I called law enforcement. Like, because they still come and pick up the anonymous kit. Right. But that prevents them from kind of getting their way into the room and questioning that victim when that victim has already requested to be anonymous. So if the victim's gone, I have an easier time standing my ground and making sure that they don't go in that room and that they don't find out that victim's information. Because sometimes they have a hard time with not having a name or not having a story to put with that report, to just literally say, here's an anonymous kit, you have to go store it. So. Well, we we had a recent um, situation here in South Carolina that we had a nurse that had an anonymous kit and unfortunately was getting some pressure from law enforcement saying that she was a mandated reporter. And it, it's something that is impor- important for us to talk about because everyone should report. If you know, if you see a crime, if you are aware of of assault or abuse, you you should do that. But there are certain people who have an obligation under the law to report. Um, but if a, an adult, like you said, chooses not to to move forward, they choose to decide to to do a kit, but do it anonymously. A nurse does not have any obligation to to report that and to protect and that's that not confidentiality. That's not just state, that's federally as well. So that's a big mandate that they would be breaking in the event that they decided to go ahead and give that victim's information over to law enforcement. So it takes a lot of training on the law enforcement aspect of it, as well as the nursing aspect of it, because unfortunately, some all states are different. So some states have different mandated reporting laws. So to make sure that our law enforcement and everybody is on board with knowing kind of what what do we have to report, you know, and in South Carolina, the only things that we are required to report are going to be like a vulnerable adult, if they if the victim is a minor, and if there was the use of a firearm. And I don't mean like they pistol whipped somebody. I mean, like the firearm has to have been shot or a victim has uh, like if there was a child victim like a child in the home who witnessed the like say domestic violence or something like that that's going to be your only areas where really other than that say it's a stabbing we're technically not required to report those you know those sorts of things so um and sometimes somebody cleans their gun and shoots themselves in the hand now i'm required to report that even though that you know they're saying it was an accident i'm still required to report that but those are going to be our only um, instances where mandated reporting comes into play. Kind of shifting a little bit from the examination and in the ER, mm-hmm. you know, once you've collected this this kit, what do you do with it? What happens? So um, once the stain goes into the room and opens the kit, she's not allowed to leave the room. So she's there with that kit until it is sealed up. The evidence seal is put on it. And then there's a chain of custody on the back of it or in the new one, um, there's a different chain of custody for the toxicology as well as for the DNA component. The toxicology would be in the event that we thought there was a drug facilitated sexual assault or there's lapses in the victim's memory or loss of consciousness, those sorts of things, then we would test for that. But so they each have their own chain of custody and you we fill out our portion. And then when law enforcement gets there, the law enforcement officer would fill out their portion and then they are taking over custody of that kit that sealed kit. 
I can't, I, I'm just marinating on the fact that you said that there are people, there are nurses in South Carolina that can have absolutely no training and still do this two to four hour, incredibly invasive physical examination collection and have no training. That just doesn't make sense to me. I know because let's face it. If I was the nurse to be called to court, I would much rather say I had went through some sort of specialized training to collect this evidence versus, oh, I just read the instructions, you know, like it just makes it, it that much more troubling. Cause let's, let's face it. Once that evidence is gone, it's gone. Right. We're not getting that back, you know? So if you happen to miss evidence or potentially turn a victim away, cause that's another thing that I find very um, enlightening that I've, you know, recently learned after some tours of some local labs and stuff that, there's more DNA in saliva than there is in semen. And they can potentially still get saliva DNA even after the victim has showered. And I know that we've wow. heard stories of victims being turned away because they've showered, you know? And so they're saying, no, 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 still collect that evidence. Even if they've showered, we can still potentially get DNA from those areas. So I feel like that's important for victims to know because even if they've showered or whatever, because you might feel, you might feel, you know, dirty or nasty or whatever after something like this. And you just want to get it off of you, you know, like you don't want to worry about it yet. You might not well, be thinking, what am I going to do next? Am I going right, to have an exam? Right, right. Right. And so if you go and take a shower and then you're like, oh man, there, you know, don't think that that's the end all be all, please still come in, you know, and please also know that even if you opt to not have any evidence collected whatsoever, there's still resources through your rape crisis center. Um, and we still offer all of those medications, regardless of whether you come in or, uh, or whether you want a kid or not. Um, and that's all free of charge. Like they should not be receiving a bill for any of this when they come to the ER. That's covered by the state. So that's another right. thing. So that if anybody's a victim of sexual assault and they go to the ER and they have a kit collected and they receive a bill, that's a problem, you know? Yeah. And so it's covered by the department, that. right? The yeah. Department of Crime Victim <laughs> Compensation in the state of South Carolina. And I think every state has a, a victim's compensation fund yeah. that covers this. That's a really great point. So let's talk about in a perfect world. We know that we don't live in a perfect world with the work that we do, but what are some things that you would advise someone if they have been a victim of sexual assault um, or they're with someone who is the victim of a sexual assault? What are things that they can do after that victimization, after that incident to help make that evidence collection a little bit easier um, on, on nurse examiners? So, um, I mean, if they haven't showered, I'm going to advise them not to shower. Um, but I don't want, I, like I said, I don't want that to be the end all be all. But um, if they haven't eaten or drinking eaten or eaten or drank anything, you know, they can potentially, um, we can get DNA, especially if there was an oral assault, you know, we're still going to be get, be able to get their DNA if they ate or drank something. But if it was some type of an oral assault, you know, it might wash away some of the perpetrator's DNA. Um, if there happens to be linens or clothes or anything that they wore that they want to bring in, because we're in a day and age where a lot of people don't wear underwear anymore. And I, I know that firsthand whenever they come to the ER, I can still swap their blue jeans and give them back because right. a lot of people don't want to get rid of their blue jeans. They're like, no, 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 I want to keep those. And that's okay. I want them to keep their blue jeans, but just because they might not have the underwear on, doesn't mean that I can't collect any evidence. Let's put it that way. So they can bring that with them as well. Um, and then 
I mean, just, just to really be, be, you know, be patient with them because this is a lot and coming forth and talking and, you know, that they probably know that they're going to have to repeat their story several times, you know, in the ER or into law enforcement and that sort of thing. And just how traumatizing that in itself can be for that victim. Um, so trying to be patient um, and just trying to make sure that that they get the care that they deserve within a timely manner um, without being re-traumatized is important. Really great points, Amanda. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. All right, well, we're back with Amanda Brown, RN, BSN, SANE A certification, all wonderful and extraordinary nurse and person here in South Carolina who is spreading the word about sexual assault, nurse examiners and examinations, how we can make sure victims have access to everything they need after uh, they have been sexually assaulted. I'm just in awe of Number one, your knowledge. I mean, I, I've always known that you are incredibly bright, but it's, you know, you are, you're fighting a lot on a lot of fronts here. Not only maybe society and culturally our understanding of, of sexual assault, but also maybe nurses not wanting to do this or maybe hospitals not wanting to have the expenditure of having someone on staff who can do these kits, but it is so crucial as a prosecutor, yes. I know that we need we need these kits done. We need to have this availability for victims. Tell me a little bit about those barriers that you're really trying to just knock the door down so we can have access to this all across the state. Um, well, funding is one of those, obviously. Funding is always a huge issue because sexual assault is not a moneymaker. You know, there's a set amount that we get back reimbursement-wise from DCVC or the Department of Crime Victim Compensation to the hospital, but it's not making the hospitals a lot of money. And unfortunately, there's not another area for those other umbrellas I told you about. So those other areas to get reimbursement for other victims of violent crime, that's not there. Um, so the hospitals are not getting reimbursed for those parts. So what, you know, as far as, a nurse, why wouldn't a nurse want to get this certification? Like, what are the expectations? I mean, I know you said that they might have to be in that room for two to four hours, but how can we encourage nurses or let's pitch? A nurses, of, we need you. Come uh, do this. Right. A lot, of, a lot are very afraid to get called to court. Like, that's the real thing. A lot are, really? that is their biggest fear of even the same nurses that we have as they are scared to death to get called to court. No, it's not that scary. I promise. And I know, especially because we have amazing attorneys that help prep our nurses, you know, and so that's, that's fabulous. But that seems to be, even in, when I go and I speak to nursing schools and some of those things, it's like, everybody's afraid to get called to court. And I'm like, it, it doesn't really happen that often. Right. Most of the time they plea out or, you know, whatever that, you know, might, whatever the case might be. But we also do courtroom testimony trainings and courtroom prep trainings and things like that to help prepare you and understand that you've went through this specialized training. You are more prepared than anybody else to do this exam. 
you know more than anybody <laughs> in that courtroom about That's right. exactly absolutely and that should make folks you are the expert in that area and so yeah i really hope that more people will do that because like you were talking earlier we could have 15 nurse examiners in charleston or columbia and greenville but that doesn't leave very many for the rest of the state that's right how long is the training to to become a sane a certified certified nurse so there's two different so there's a sane uh certification that you can get and so you do a 40-hour didactic training so that's going to be in the classroom where you learn all the basics photography that sort of thing and then you have a clinical component so you go back to either your your regular er or wherever you work or potentially somewhere that has the same program and you get your clinical time in so you do at least three sane exams with the same nurse you do regular pelvic exams on just regular um uh, patients that come into the er that way we know uh, because of, uh, pelvic exams aren't something that typically nurses do okay right. so that way we know um when we're looking at stuff, what's abnormal versus what's normal. So if we look at say 10 normal, then we know when we see something abnormal when our victims come in and that sort of thing. Um, you usually do right along with law enforcement and with your local rape crisis center and that sort of thing, just to make sure that you're um, completed with all of that. After you've gotten all of that done, you submit for your certificate, okay? So then after about two years of doing your same like regular regular nursing thing so like i've been a sane for two years i'd like to go and sit for a board exam that's a nationalized board exam to state that i'm certified to be able to do this at that point and once you've met so many hours you can go and sit for this board certified exam and then you can put that same dash a behind your name uh, or same dash p because there's a pediatric one too and they are both very different balls of wax i'm sure i'm i'm Absolutely. So for someone that is doing this, this work, it's not easy at all. What is the most difficult thing about being a sane nurse or trying to advocate for sane nurses and, and folks that work with victims? I think the most difficult part, honestly, is people realizing how important it is to have somebody that's specially trained to collect that evidence. Um, that not just any nurse can do this, that you need to have somebody that's not only passionate about doing it, that cares about doing that, that has went through the training to do it, and that generally just wants to take on that holistic approach for that victim to make sure that they are getting the, the top care whenever they come to that emergency room. We've recently talked um, off of the podcast about hits that are collected with intent with that passion you're talking about with that training and kits that are not. What can you tell us about that? So um, there are several labs that are in the state that are not necessarily SLED. They're like different labs. And so we did a tour of one of those just to kind of figure out what was going on in those labs, what issues were they having? Because I always try to go to see if they're having continual issues with sexual assault kits or whatever, so that I can teach the nurses hey, this is something they're seeing a repeat of. We need to make sure that we're correcting this issue or that sort of thing. But um, one of the last few times that I went, I asked them to kind of see if they noticed a difference in kits that were collected maybe with intent versus those that were not. 
And so one of the labs was gracious enough to kind of turn it into a little research project. And just based upon the DNA match without even reading the paperwork and that sort of thing, figuring out which kits were collected with intent. So let's say somebody who had critical thinking skills, let's say somebody that it doesn't say on those instructions to collect a black cubic hair on a redheaded patient. You see what I'm saying? And so, but that nurse knew to do that. And so the DNA matches that they were able to obtain for those were substantially higher than those that were collected by someone who probably just read the instructions. Wow. There's, you, you can't replace passion for what you do or training in these areas because it's so specialized. And I, I think it's amazing that the lab and it was the Greenville lab, right? In South Carolina, was the Greenville that lab. was able to, to tell the difference in the way these kits were collected and the outcomes, the better outcomes that were able to be received because of that attention to these kits, which is amazing. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Looking ahead, we have a long way to go here in South Carolina with making sure that every hospital in South Carolina has a certified nurse examiner who can, who can do these kits, not only for victims of sexual assault, but for elder abuse or domestic violence or human trafficking. What is something, in your opinion, as someone who does this every day, how can a regular person who's hearing about this, how can we support what you do? How can we advocate for the work that you're doing and the work for victims and survivors? Well, I mean, honestly, a, a lot of hospitals really can obtain grant fundings and those sorts of things to be able to do this. Um, if you're passionate about assisting sexual assault victims, your local rape crisis centers, they take volunteer advocates all the time that they, they need these advocates just to go and sit with these victims, to be that hand holder, to be that person for them that accompanies them in court and helps them through these processes and these times of need. Um, attending, sometimes even the hospitals have their own little, you know, council meetings and those sorts of things, making sure they're aware of these issues, asking them, do you have any sexual assault nurses on staff? You know, how do you prepare for these types of things? Um, because unfortunately, I feel like it takes bad publicity sometimes to make things happen. And I would rather these places just do it because it's the right thing to do, you know, because it is the right thing to do to make sure that they're caring for these victims and not letting these perpetrators get off just because the evidence wasn't collected properly. That's so true. And now in South Carolina, there are designations for hospitals that have chosen to establish a program, right? There are, there are. So we are the first state in the United States to launch a sexual assault forensic excellence designation. And what that means is that the hospital has gone above and beyond to make sure they're providing 24 seven care um, level one, see adults and pediatrics, level two, see just adults, but they have an MOU probably with that level one facility for their peds. Um, but this just goes and shows that all of these hospitals have have gone above and beyond to make sure that they're caring for these victims. And this is a voluntary accreditation. So hospitals aren't required to do that. So the fact that they're hopping on board and doing it because of that is, is really something great. The hospital gets PR for it, um, as well as if funding is an issue to train these nurses. Um, we are, SDBAN is providing free sexual assault nurse training to hospitals that want to take part in the designation. So there's really no excuse. You know, you, you get PR for it. It's a free designation and we're going to give you free training and help you write your protocols if you need to, um, to be able to get your program up and running, to be able to say that you're safe designated. 
That's wonderful. We're going to make sure that we put all the information to contact Amanda about getting this designation or if you have questions about becoming a sexual assault nurse examiner or a forensic nurse examiner. Amanda is by far the most knowledgeable person I know on this subject. And I'm so grateful that you talked about this because it's, it's scary. People don't know what to expect. People, even nurses who have been through the training don't want to, to have to testify. But having this training, having this availability is absolutely crucial for crime victims and to make sure that we successfully prosecute these cases. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me. Thanks for being here, Amanda. All right. Thank you.